Hello and welcome to Dowdy, the podcast where me, Mariana Feijó, talk to my guests about the concept of bravery, or braveness, even just the moments where folks have been slightly out of their comfort zones. This week I was brave because I walked all the way from Hackney to the Portuguese embassy in London to cast my vote against fascism. And despite it being close to 25,000 steps, that's very little compared to what my ancestors did to fight fascism, but 60% or more than 60% of the Portuguese people didn't actually even do that. And a lot of them, 5% of all the Portuguese people, almost 12% of the ones that did vote, voted for fascism. Even though our democracy is 40 years old, only, it's a very young democracy, and our grandparents and our parents, mine, because I'm of that generation, remember living in a dictatorship. And maybe I'm starting this podcast like way fast and coming at you all angry about this, but I am very angry. I am very angry that a candidate that made a campaign talking about a dictatorship of the people of good and talking about how there are different people and that some people deserve more than others, managed to get so many freaking votes from a country that was in a dictatorship till 74. And it's very scary that the whole of the world is going in a direction that that I didn't expect it to, to go. And I think we all should do something about it. I am planning stuff within what I can do and what I can offer and within my skills to try and do something about it and maybe it won't help anyone and it won't change anything but I think we can't just stay put and watch the world go to a place where we don't want it to go where we've been before and we don't want to go back there I've had my little rant. I won't rant more about it now. <laughs> we do talk, we mention slightly the Franco dictatorship in Spain in this episode, just like very, very quickly, like just a small mention that doesn't in any way represent what the Franco dictatorship in Spain was. I know a lot of the people listening to me from what I see in my stats live in the UK and in America. So I don't know, you haven't lived through dictatorships, even if America was very very close to it very recently. You haven't. The, the UK, the British people, talk a lot about the war and are very proud of having made it through the war years and that everyone was struggling together and, you know, going through difficulties, which I'm sure they, they were. But there's something about not having freedom to sometimes even think that I grew up knowing was a possibility and it's really painful when you see that so many people that should have grown up as you have with the knowledge of history that you have with the knowledge of the history of your country don't say that and I'm keeping on with my rant which wasn't what I was meant to do because I was going past my rant and I was going into something else and what I'm going to now is that I like I really want to <laughs> thank all my new listeners i had like uh, in the last couple of weeks my stats tell me more people are listening to me so if you are one of my new listeners i'm sorry for the rant this is not like this doesn't happen all the time i keep my rants short and this doesn't happen all the time so i'm sorry that if if this is the second episode you're listening to or even the first episode you're listening to it's not like this all the time so thank you for listening to me if you are enjoying what you're listening to and I usually say this at the end, but because there's so many new people listening to me, share it with your friends if you're enjoying it. 
go to Apple Podcasts and leave some stars and some reviews. That'll be like super helpful. And yeah, it's like it's a weird medium, the podcast medium for someone that's used to performing on stage where you get the the reaction from the audience straight away. With a podcast, I see stats. I see people are listening. I'm assuming they're enjoying because they keep listening. I don't know if it's the same people. It may be like different people (laughs) every week that listen to the podcast. So I don't know if there's like people who are... So it's hard to know if people are enjoying it and coming back and listening to more episodes. So tell me about it. Tell me that you are enjoying it. I just Even if you don't leave a review on Apple Podcasts, just like reach out to me on social media. Tell me you're enjoying it. I'd like to know. <laughs> and tell me if you want more rants, if you want less rants. I don't know. I don't know what people want, clearly. <laughs> now that we're over with all the rants and pleasantries, this episode of Doughty starts, as it always does, with my guest, Roxy JC, introducing herself. I'm Roxy. I live in Amsterdam and I have a job that's irrelevant, <laughs> but I do uh, organize stand-up in Amsterdam that I've been doing now since 2017. Currently organizing a show called That Comedy Thing, where we try and find new talent and also give opportunities to people to have uh, longer spots. You know, comedians that normally do 8 to 10, we try and give them 15, 20. And we were trying to get people to 45 recently, but there's uh, been a small pandemic, so that stopped. <laughs> And now I don't do much. I just sit around. I go for a run. <laughs> and I think about what I'm going to make for dinner. <laughs> That's good to think. Like, I, I sometimes skip dinner because I can't be bothered to think about it. <laughs> just, just an extra thing to do. Yeah. So. <laughs> I think it's wonderful that you're trying to get longer spots to people. Because here in the UK, the more common length of sets for new comedians is five minutes. Mm. So not even the eight minutes. And I do feel like in most normal nights, you don't get more than 15 minutes for sure. And like 10, it's probably the most common. Yeah, that's that's the same thing here. I think I'd never done more than 15 unless someone forgot to light me and I just carried on. (laughs) So it was more of an accident than anyone wanted me to actually be on stage. Oh, I forgot. I also organized Funny Women Amsterdam. (laughs) That's how we met, actually. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it's true. It's the same here. I think pretty much the English scene is just at the beginning was a bit of a copy of the of the UK scene. So that's why everything works the same. But we don't have as many comedians in, in the English language. Mm-hmm. And also we don't have as many very good comedians. So we have to basically create our own scene and create our own comedians. It's just a, a very young scene, I think. I mean, right now it's exploded in the last two or three years. Before, I think there was probably two or three places only to watch English comedy. There wasn't that many spots and there was, I don't know, just a handful of comedians that just did all the gigs. <laughs> and then expats came in and we just started taking over. And now we have a Facebook group with like 900 comedians just in the Netherlands. So. <laughs> and are there Dutch comedians that are doing the English speaking circuit and that are in that group of 900 people or are they all non-Dutch comedians that are based in Amsterdam or the the Netherlands? Uh, Everything. Just uh, Dutch comedians in English, English speakers from any any nationality in the Netherlands and people that pass through as well that come to Amsterdam quite a lot. 
we have a few like Brits that come. Can I say Brits? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I say Brits all the time, but I'm also not British, so maybe I'm just offended. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, is that insulting? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's changed. I'm not watching the news. Yeah. Maybe it's offensive now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, we do have uh, comedians from the UK that come over and uh, do spots and they come regularly. So we're just trying to create a scene where we can get more of that and more UK comedians to succumb to Amsterdam because we, we do notice we have a bit of a lack of uh, headliners at the moment and we just need just more and yeah. England is close and there's a lot of comedy so yeah. and there's like can't wait for this lockdown to end cheap flights and yeah. stuff that hopefully will still be around after uh, COVID and also like the train the um, what do you call it oh yeah the, train. the new train from london yeah. yeah 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 yeah. that'll help yeah and we actually do our show in a hostel uh, um it's called clink i think they have it in london as well i don't know if it's called the same but um we're still trying to talk to them but they would be happy to also like offer comedians discounts to stay in the in the hostel if they're going to do a free show or even a free room depending mm. but yeah we're, we're negotiating that so cool that'd be I'll cool be happy yeah. to visit after <laughs> yes <laughs> after this virus goes away <laughs> how would you define bravery oh i've been thinking about this a lot because a lot of times when people tell me i'm brave i just think i've just been very stupid <laughs> And I was looking at the other podcast and I did see that somebody did compare bravery to recklessness. So I think there has to be a bit of recklessness and a little bit of stupidity to be brave, just slightly. But I would say bravery is just doing something maybe out of your comfort zone that needs to get done and maybe not thinking about it too much, just going for it rather than sitting around and planning it i think if a lot of planning goes into it maybe it's not as brave mm -hmm. i think <laughs> but that's just my definition and that's what i've done with my life yeah one of our previous guests was of the opinion that she has never been brave because she plans too much <laughs> so when she does do stuff it's no longer brave because she she has thought about all the outcomes that's the thing though because it depends what it is right maybe in my case when i've been brave it's been reckless a little bit but i guess some planning should go into it so i think it could depend on the person but in my case it's definitely reckless so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you have thought about moments <laughs> when you have been brave yes so i the first one that comes to mind is uh like 2011 um i basically moved to amsterdam and i didn't know anyone here and i had never been to amsterdam before And I decided I was just going to move to Amsterdam and live here and work here because I'd had enough. <laughs> <laughs> and I never thought it was brave at the moment. I just thought I just just had to get out. I was living in Spain then. I'm half Spanish, half English, but I've always lived in Spain. And there wasn't a lot of work going on at, the mo at that time. And uh, in 2010, I went back home to live with my mum and dad to look for work. But they live in, uh, you'll know this, in Extremadura near <laughs> Portugal, <laughs> in a tiny, tiny village with 3,000 people called Jarandilla de la Vera. And um, yeah, living there for a year definitely made me just think, I'll just go anywhere where there might be a job. So I googled lowest unemployment rate in Europe, and uh, it was either Germany or the Netherlands. And you don't need to speak Dutch in the Netherlands at the beginning. So I just bought a ticket and I came here <laughs> with a suitcase. 
yeah, that was that was quite brave and scary, very scary. Was it easy navigating the Netherlands without speaking Dutch and like getting a job with just speaking English and Spanish? I guess um, also maybe makes yeah. it easier to find a job because you yeah. speak more than one language. Yeah, the Spanish helped to get the job, but not so much to maneuver the Netherlands. Uh, well, what I did at the beginning was I just stayed at a hostel and I gave myself a deadline. So. I decided that if in a month I didn't have a house or like an apartment or a job, then I would have to, I had to leave. Like I couldn't just stay here for more than a month also because I didn't have any money. So I just thought if I can get one of those two, it's like a good omen that I can I can do this. It was the 11th of September that I moved here. It was 9-11. Yeah, I can't forget that. <laughs> it's a good date. And by the 1st of October, I had a job and I had a house. So... Yeah, it was pretty easy. Like I just went to all the agencies and when they heard me speak in English and I told them I was Spanish, they would like tripping over to try and get me a job. <laughs> so that helped. But yeah, the hostel was the the hard part. I was I just got the cheapest one I could find and it was like a room with I think like nine, ten people in bunk beds and everybody was partying and I was trying to look for work and there was um <laughs> There was one day in the room that I thought I was alone and these, um, uh, I think they were French maybe. There was three guys, uh, just no, two guys and a girl and they were just hanging out in the room and, and they were just trying to talk to me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, trying to be polite, but mm-hmm. trying to ignore them because you're just trying to find work. And they said, do you mind if we smoke? And I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. And then they took out um, tin foil paper and they started smoking either crack or something. Okay. <laughs> and by then, <laughs> yes, it was very strange. And and they're like, "Do you want some?" I'm like, "No, no, I'm I'm looking for work." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, we came for that too." And I'm like, "I think we're looking for different kinds of work." <laughs> it, yeah. It feels that like was, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, and it feels like if someone asks you, "Can I smoke?" You think like cigarettes and like. We're in Amsterdam, so maybe it's weird. But crack yeah, is like, that's what, the thing. What? I don't even know if it was crack or what it was that yeah. you need to smoke on that. But it definitely wasn't a joint. And <laughs> yeah, and then I was so stupid because I was too polite to tell them to stop. But then you think about it and it's like, I think you would be perfectly okay and nobody would call you impolite for telling somebody, would you mind not smoking crack next to me <laughs> yeah. while I'm trying to find a job? <laughs> I do remember I moved to the UK the first time to do my master's in 2010, mm-hmm. 2011. And I was living with a live-in landlady. And she was like, she turned 25, no, 28, I think, while I was here. And I mm-hmm. turned 25. So we were like close in age. It wasn't like an old lady landlady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and she'd have uh, dinner parties and stuff. And one night I came home at like, I don't know, 3 a.m., 5 a.m. Uh, and she was in the um, dining table with all her friends. And mm. she like, um, I'm, I'm friendly, I'm uh, Portuguese. So I think there's like a slight difference when I'm connecting with English people or British people because they tend to not be as friendly they tend to be a little bit more standoffish so I Mm -hmm. got there and I started being friendly and talking to her and her friends and I just stood around and she had like her arms crossed in front of her but because I took too much time Uh... there chatting to them she gave up on hiding what she was hiding and it was coke a few lines of coke (laughs) (laughs) 
And he then also asked me if I wanted some, and I was like, no, 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 thank you. Thank you for offering. I'm okay. Thank you. I it was 5 a.m. I wanted to sleep. <laughs> but it's so funny when you're, I, I wouldn't call it naive, but just like when you're not in the drug scene, you just don't notice, but it's also quite difficult to say no without sounding like, you don't want to sound like a square, but you also don't want to do drugs. <laughs> Because my first apartment when I was 19, I was living in Spain and uh, I had a flatmate and she partied a lot and she went out and I would go out, but I would just like drink calimocho, which we drink there, which is just wine and Mm -hmm. Coca-Cola, which is the cheapest thing you can drink and just listen to rock music. And she would always go with her friends and they would stay at home sometimes uh, and go out later. But I remember that I liked to keep the house really clean. And for some reason, her friends would give her the rear view mirrors from cars, like the side mirrors. Okay. Um, they would just kick them off and bring them to our house. And I was so, <laughs> I'm such a loser that I would clean them and arrange them nicely because, you know, I like to have a nice house. But they were always so dusty. Like every Monday, they were just so dusty. And I would clean them with like um, that blue, I don't know what it's called, Kleenex or whatever, the blue all-purpose cleaner. <laughs> and until one weekend, she said, would you like to you know, have a drink with us at home before you go out. I'm like, yeah, that would be great. That would be amazing. And then one of the guys got the mirror and started doing lights of coke on it. And I couldn't help myself. And I'm like, oh my God, that's why they're so dirty every Monday. (laughs) And then my flatmate said, that's why my cocaine tastes like Kleenex. It also oh. makes a lot of sense that they had like mirrors that they would just bring mirrors to the house because right? that's also it's odd. Just... <laughs> yeah, but I'm like I'm 19. I don't know. Maybe this is cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like nice, uh, nice decorate de- decorative uh, object. <laughs> oh, what else did we have? Oh yeah, we would uh, when we got drunk, we would steal the traffic signs mm-hmm. as well. So if you came to our house, there was like a stop sign and all these different arrows and stuff. But then when I moved out, my dad was too embarrassed to throw them out in case they thought it was him. So he put them in his car. And to this day, he still uses them like in our back garden for like sand and things like that. So hard being a vandal when your parents are nice. (laughs) I remember people stealing those kinds of things as well. And yeah, I never wondered where they ended up in. I guess it's just, it's, hard. Yeah. it's a thing that's hard to throw away because if someone sees you, it's like, oh, you just stole that. <laughs> yeah, there's not a special bin day yeah. for traffic signs. <laughs> you know, every Tuesday, just leave them in the corner and they'll just pick up the stop sign that you stole. <laughs> it's also like uh, trying to make a comparison. I hope you weren't doing any drugs on a stop sign because that looks like a lot. <laughs> To imagine that's why they stole them, yeah. just to do massive lines of cocaine <laughs> off a stop sign. But you wouldn't see them in the middle, so you can't use them. <laughs> no, I think the weirdest place that I've seen people do coke is probably the rearview mirror. Mm. Everybody else just uses a plate. But I do remember at one party, somebody was heating up a plate. And then they said, oh, someone told me that it's nicer when you heat it up. And I'm like, now you're just making stuff up to sound cool. <laughs> I can't imagine the baking soda and cocaine or whatever it's cut with is better warm. Yeah, and like... It's not... Yeah, it's not a chicken nugget or a <laughs> scotch egg. <laughs> and also, like, I don't know if it gets warm because it's maybe weird to get something up your nose that's, like, hot. 
It doesn't even sound very appealing. No. But anyway, the drug world. <laughs> <laughs> I do live in Amsterdam, though, so there's a lot of that when you go out partying. Yeah. Was that a different thing from Spain? Did you have to get used to seeing people openly? Hmm. I don't know. I don't even know how the drug uh, laws are in Spain. Well, in Spain, they, they're just against everything. So you can't do any drugs, but you can... You can't smoke weed, and they'll stop you for that too. Uh, but here, obviously, you can you can smoke weed. But also, when it's the um, AD festival, the uh, Amsterdam dance event, they yeah. actually allow you to carry three pills on you. So as long as it's for personal consumption. Because so many people are doing drugs that if they had to stop everybody with a few pills of ecstasy, they would they'll basically just have too much work. So yeah. just for that week, they're like, okay, well, you can have two or three. Just don't sell them. So that's a very Dutch approach. It's like, well, they'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. In Portugal, it's legal to consume any drug. Uh, we just can't sell them. So yeah. There you go. And it's actually when they Portugal. when they implemented that, uh, like there was a big drug crisis in the late 80s and 90s and uh, drug consumption decreased a lot when yeah. they decriminalized it. So yeah. Yeah, I believe that that's the thing here like people don't smoke as much weed as they do in spain mm -hmm. because you can and people try it when they're 14 and 15 and then they're like fine yeah and then, then nobody nobody really smokes and nobody smokes outside and if they do smoke they buy it like in a pharmacy and then they just mm -hmm. take it home but people don't smoke outside they don't hang out like people at the coffee shops that are smoking weed here are always tourists yeah like the the dutch definitely don't And it was so weird for me to see coming from Spain where everybody's smoking weed everywhere all the time and then just hiding it if the police comes. Mm -hmm. I went to Amsterdam with my family and my niece and she was very young. I don't know, like maybe not that young. She was maybe eight or something like that. But we could smell weed sometimes. And it's like a very heavy smell. Mm -hmm. And she asked at some point, why does it smell like sweat all the time? <laughs> When I was, I think, 14, so basically um, my, my dad used to smoke, but he never told me. So he would roll up, but I thought it was just cigarettes, I guess. I didn't even know what it was. And the first time I went to a rock bar, I think I was about 14, and I went in and I thought, oh, it smells like my house. <laughs> I didn't say it out loud, thankfully, because somebody said, oh, there's a lot of stoners in here. And I'm like, ew, I hate stoners. They're like the worst. <laughs> but yeah, I think definitely... At least in Amsterdam, you do see, if you go out at night, you see way more. Maybe people hide it less because it's Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like I do see more people consuming than I did in, in Madrid. Uh, just to compare like main cities. Mm -hmm. And I lived in Berlin as well. And I think it wasn't as apparent. People that come to Amsterdam are like, oh, well, they smoke weed. So everything goes. Yeah. And you just see everybody just doing everything. Yeah. And I think it's way more because... I don't know if they try to sell it as a like a tourism thing, <laughs> like the Dutch the Dutch tourism board. If they try to sell it as a a thing you can do, but everyone knows that you can smoke weed in Amsterdam, so a lot of people go for that. And I feel like, for instance, in Portugal, which our laws are also very mm -hmm. lenient, there's less that uh, knowledge in the world that that's possible. So we don't have like drug tourism, <laughs> which I think is great. <laughs> Hey, they're pretty chill. Yeah. <laughs> Depends what you're selling. Um, 
I think they did sell it at one point. I know that Amsterdam was definitely in a bit of a crisis, I think, in the 70s and the 80s. I don't know if the 90s, maybe. So they did start promoting Amsterdam a lot. But now they definitely don't want to promote anything. Like, they don't want anyone anywhere, really. They are so sick of tourists. If you go down the street now, there's loads of signs. Like, you can't drink in the street. You'll get fined if you pee in the street. You should only smoke weed in a coffee shop if you're outside the neighbours and the Amsterdamers will tell you off. So I think they're just a bit tired of of tourism just because it's just overtaken the city. And now with the whole corona, the centre where the red light district is, the neighbours have really noticed the impacts of of tourism. And they're just so happy now that there's nobody there. So there's even talks of taking the red light district away and they're going to make, and this is my favourite thing, they're going to make like a shopping centre with the red light district. (laughs) Like a building with different floors. So the prostitutes will have their own room or the sex workers, sorry. And you can only go in if you're going to consume. So then they won't be just looked at yeah. like a product like they are right now. But I've even seen the plans and it's a really cool building with red lights and everything. And they're going to put it in the outskirts, it's out of the way. So they won't get take the, their jobs away and they're actually going to make the centre nicer. Yeah. But I love the idea of a shopping centre for sex work. Yeah. You just go to different floors and I guess each floor is something different, I would assume. So they wouldn't have the windows. So yeah. Cuz I I was when you first said it, uh, the shopping center, I imagined like windows and I thought that that's just very sad. That's Let's sad. just put them all inside <laughs> of a building and still <laughs> I don't know actually. I hope it's not like that. That would be very strange. Yeah. But it is similar to what it is now. It would just be in a building. Mm-hmm. But um, I think what they're trying to, the way they're trying to sell it is that it would be more secure as well and they'll be inside. And also, if you're a family, you're not going to walk through the center and have a look. You're not going to go to the outskirts specifically to pay, like, I don't know how much the ticket entrance will be. So I think it will get rid of a lot of people that just want to, just want to see what it is. Yeah. But they're still, they're still at work. It was also weird for me the first time because I didn't know we were close to the red light district. So I remember I was just looking at a at a shop that was selling flowers or tulips. And then the next window was just a naked lady or like very skimpy. And I was just so shocked. Not because it's a woman or anything. It's just because I was just looking at some flowers. And then I was basically looking at tits. And it was just a bit of a surprise when you don't expect it. And if you're like thinking of like you were very interested <laughs> looking at flowers. And then you went to the next window very like focused on. Was, oh, Yeah, I was so focused. Like, hmm, these... Oh, I don't know what these are called. What type of flower is this? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a special kind of environment here. You get used to it and then you just never go to the centre. But I guess it's the same in London. Yeah, I rarely go to the centre and I really want to go now because there will be no tourists around. Uh, but I haven't yet because it's a bit far to walk there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. we've been doing uh, yesterday. No, this weekend I did Amsterdam tourism. And basically just walked to the centre and walked to all the places that I never go to normally. And I kept forgetting that the reason you don't go there is because there's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And just looking around and thinking, I don't know why I don't come here. This is, this is so nice. This is such a nice place to sit and have a drink. And then you remember, oh, yeah, because normally there's just thousands of people walking through. Here. Yeah. <laughs> But it's still fun. I always get stressed when I go to central London because there's so many people. I only go there for work. I haven't been to London. Yeah, I haven't been to London in ages i went for work but in general i just get very stressed it's just it's just a lot for me in london 
I get stressed with the tourists and I know they're tourists mm-hmm. and they're walking slow because they're not in a hurry to go anywhere, but they're in front of me and I am in a hurry to get places. So, ah! But I know it's unfair of me. <laughs> well, is it? Is it really? I don't think so. <laughs> you should try biking with tourists. <laughs> Like when I started biking here, uh, I was so careful and so nice. And now if anyone is in front of me for more than a millisecond, I'm like ringing my bell. I should learn to swear in Dutch as well. (laughs) I have no patience. Now I understand what road rage is because I am the worst. Even children. I'll I'll kick anyone out of the way. I don't care. Do you drive? No, I don't drive. I just bike. I was going to ask what was the difference between road rage in a car, because I used to have that. (laughs) I would say that in the car, you're protected by your car. (laughs) And on a bike, they can hear you. (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. Yeah. (laughs) I swear, like, I'm wearing a mask outside now. And today I was going past people, or yesterday, and they were annoying me. And I said, like, fuck you. Inside my breath. And my mask but then I realized they listened and they looked at me and they were like what it wasn't me yeah <laughs> I have a mask you didn't see my mouth move <laughs> <laughs> the thing is right now we talk about it and I think it's so unreasonable but then I'm on my bike and I say it and I don't care <laughs> and I know that I probably ruin people's day but they shouldn't be so slow on their bike <laughs> so we can say that I'm very brave when I'm on my bike <laughs> Do you have other moments of bravery you've thought about? Yes. I thought of another one that was also my bravery stupidity moment. I started doing comedy in about 2017. And here in the scene, there wasn't a lot of women. Some, at least, there were women doing comedy, but not in the lineup. You were always the token mm-hmm. woman. And I remember after one show, it was especially because I was the only female, but I was also the only expat. So they were all Dutch guys. And here, men are extremely tall. They're at least eight foot tall. I don't know the <laughs> More or less. Yes. I say, more or less. That's how it felt. <laughs> so I'm just looking up at all these giants speaking a different language. And I'm like, this isn't fair. There should be like someone else here I could talk to at least. So it's like closer to me in height. Yeah, just, just someone a little shorter know, at least. <laughs> six feet. <laughs> but it, I just started thinking like maybe I should start my own night. But everybody was like, no, you shouldn't do that. You've only just started doing comedy and, uh, you know, you don't know enough. And as I normally do when someone tells me I shouldn't do something is uh, do com- the complete opposite. So <laughs> I was just looking for places and thinking of where I could do this. And I remember my friends asked me to pick up a scarf that she left at a bar that's close to my house, which is actually this huge techno club that used to be a dental university it used to be a dental university now it's a techno club and she'd been there at something so she forgot her stuff and I went in then I went to pick it up and I looked at this space and I'm like oh wow this would be so cool to do comedy and someone walked by and I'm like hey do you work here <laughs> quite aggressively because I was already thinking about something else and he's like oh, yeah I do actually the uh, event manager and I'm like well <laughs> You're exactly the the person person I want to to talk talk to. to. (laughs) Yeah. And I said, would you guys be interested in organizing comedy? And he's like, oh, I would love to. Do you you organize comedy? I'm like, yes, I I have been to comedy. (laughs) (laughs) I have seen comedy before. (laughs) Uh, It's a thing that I enjoy. (laughs) So anyway, I just said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he gave me his email. And I actually prepared a PowerPoint in one afternoon of like the name that I wanted to give to the show and what I would do. And I actually thought that at the beginning we could do maybe a DJ and some comedians and then a DJ afterwards. But we actually got a meeting and everything. And I just basically lied. 
not so much light, just blagged my way through it. <laughs> and and they said yes. So so we just went ahead and I asked for a small room, but then they because of the way I was talking, they're like, no, we'll be fine in the bigger room. And I said, how many people does it seat? And they're like, well, we can seat 300, but we'll just use the lower area, which is just for 150. Okay. And I'm like, do you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> We're already here. So um, we started doing the designs. I started looking for the comedians. They, they decided they preferred not to have a DJ to not confuse the nights. So then I found comedians. And then I literally just spammed everybody that I know. Everybody at work, all of my friends. I used to party quite a lot, so it was quite easy then. I don't have any friends left now after doing comedy for three years. But I had lots of friends then. <laughs> and the first night, I remember I got all dressed up. I was going to host as well. Because, of course, if you're organizing, selling the tickets, getting comedians... Why wouldn't you host it? You need to do everything. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I was standing, I went into the room. I remember I went into the room and all the chairs were set out and I saw 120 chairs there. And I was like, what if no one comes? Which is, I think, the feeling every organizer has for a second. And then people slowly started coming in and uh, we actually filled the room up and they had to bring extra benches for extra people. I still had never hosted, so I didn't know what the hell was going to happen. So I was just drinking a lot. (laughs) And then I went to the bar and I was there with the organizers and they were so happy and they were like, oh my God, you've done such a good job. Like we've tried to do comedy before. We've never managed to fill this up. And I said to them, this is actually the first time that I do this. And he, the guy said, you know what, well done. And he ordered me a shot of tequila. <laughs> and you don't remember anything else from the night. <laughs> I do remember that at one point I forgot my notes off stage and I didn't know who was supposed to come on stage. So I put the microphone down and I said, we can edit this out later. <laughs> it's flawless like Beyonce. <laughs> And then the comedians from the top, because there's like a little balcony, started shouting flawless, flawless, flawless until I got my notes. <laughs> but it was a really good show. They made so much money behind the bar and they actually called me back and we started doing a monthly for like a year, a year and a half. But yeah, that was that was very brave, but it was it was absolutely insane. <laughs> and also like, I don't know, what would have happened if anything had gone wrong? Well, if no one had shown up, well, that's the worst that could have happened, I guess. And then I would have just, yeah, just left and yeah. never called them back again. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I think it's a good thing of, like, living in a big metropolis. Because, like, I'm from a very small town in Portugal. If I did something that was a failure there, everyone will know. But in London, oh. it's like, no one will. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I'm from a tiny village and they still remember everything that I did when I was 10. Yeah. <laughs> It's impossible to get away from. So that's why I think I love living in big cities. Just cause, because I'm from a small town, it's nice to... What I love the most, I think, especially when I first lived in a city, was being able to go out without dressing up. Like literally wearing your pajamas under your coat and no neighbors will tell your mum. <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing that excited me the most when I first moved to Madrid. Like, oh, I can, I can literally wear my slippers in the street. <laughs> I have a neighbor at my hometown, like at my parents, that will know what time I go to bed because I turn off the light and oh. has mentioned that to people before. And that's like crazy. Yeah, but it is such a village thing. I remember once I got home after school and my mum told me to dry my hair in the morning. I'm like, how do you know you weren't even awake? And she's like, the neighbours saw you walk to school with your wet hair. I'm like, what? does she not have a life? What is she doing at like nine o'clock in the morning looking at me if my hair is dry or not? Everyone yeah, knew. So I never dry my yeah. hair. <laughs> 
I always hated drying my hair. So yeah. Yeah. Start principle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that neighbor used to be a phone operator, so people will say that she was a gossiper because of that, because she was very used to operating the phones and talking to everyone. So, yeah. so funny, because um, when you're from a small town, everybody knows like everything about you. Yeah. And you're just so used to everybody knowing who your parents are and how many brothers and sisters you've got and everything about you. And that's exactly the same in my town. Like, as you said, oh, she does this, so that she, this is what she's like, and that's what they think about you as well. Yeah. And then I moved out of my village and the first time that I was studying it in a bigger town it wasn't even that big it was like 90,000 people maybe I remember the first time someone asked me do you have any brothers and sisters and I don't but I lied just because I could <laughs> and I just started making shit up just because I could <laughs> but I'm not very clever so I'd forget what I'd lied and who I'd lied to and it, it wasn't even there was no point to it I just wanted to make shit up and and then they would talk, ask me about my brother and I'm like I don't have a brother <laughs> Yeah, I would also make a point of not telling anyone I was half English. So in Spanish, I sound 100% Spanish. But every now and then my mum would call me and then I would just switch to perfect British. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favourite moment when people would just turn around. What's happened? What is she doing? <laughs> that was definitely not bravery, though. <laughs> I like the silliness of it. But yeah, like, yes. I moved from a very small town in Portugal. I don't even know how many people are there in the town but I moved to a city that has almost the same number of inhabitants as the whole of Portugal so it's a little like, <laughs> what have I done <laughs> yeah that is absolutely insane yeah. yeah I remember the first time I noticed that my whole village could fit in a building and not even a big one it's like oh everyone in my town could just fit in this building I live in or I work in or whatever I, I remember that blowing my mind and that's just 3,000 people, so it's not even a... It's just a medium one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of other bravery moments, because I also... I moved to Berlin as well. Was that before... It seems to be moving. That was before you moved to Amsterdam? Or was it in no, between? No, it was in between. Yeah. So I was living here. I think I was just, like, going out a lot and just going a little crazy, so I wasn't very good at work. <laughs> this, is, this is the nicest way I can put it. I was just shit. But, you know, when everything's going a bit wrong, you're like, oh, it's everyone else's fault. It's definitely not me. Yeah, I just started applying for graphic design jobs in Berlin and then I got one. And then I remember in less than a month, I was like, well, I'm going to go. And I told my office and they're like, well, you know, it's not a big loss. So <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> Good riddance to whoever the fuck is taking you on. And I just thought, like, if I can change everything and if I can just leave, it'll all be fine. And I'm sure it'll be great. And then I moved there again. I didn't know anybody. I managed to find an apartment. And after six months, I remember they just didn't renew my contract. So I just came back to Amsterdam. <laughs> Were you partying a lot in Berlin as well? Yeah. Because Berlin is a proper yeah, party, party city, right? So good. It is a party city. But what I liked the best was just the, the beer. It was just so cheap. And there's so many tiny, tiny bars that are just like candles and old chairs from schools and stuff. And it was just so easy to just talk to anyone because people are actually super nice there. Because everybody talks about Germans and stuff, but I literally, I would just leave my friends and they would just go and then I would just stay. 
<laughs> there was also a startup company as well, so it was quite easy to just, you know, just hang out with anyone there. A lot of people were new. But I tell this story, I actually have a, I do storytelling sometimes. And Berlin, I really had the feeling Berlin didn't want me there. <laughs> because after like a month, my wallet was stolen, my phone was stolen, my job wasn't going well. I actually met a guy and when I got there, we just stopped talking. Well, he actually stopped talking to me. <laughs> And then the day I got fired, I fell off my bike and a Russian man tried to help me. And I don't know where he came from. And I think he was Russian. I don't know, but I think so. But I remember I just fell over it. And all I could think of was that sentence, you know, um, Ich bin Berliner from the president. Yeah. But I thought, Ich bin kein Berliner. <laughs> so I just sat on a bench and I messaged my old flatmate here in Amsterdam. My room was still free. And again, I just literally, like, I think it took me a week and a half. And I just picked up and just left on a train I remember I had an Ikea bag full of just my stuff and then a suitcase that I had to close with sellotape because it wouldn't close because it was so stuffed. <laughs> yeah, and then I came back. <laughs> and that's been how long ago? Well, it's going to be... That's well, 2013. So it's been a while now. Yeah, and you're going strong in Amsterdam and not thinking of moving again. <laughs> like, in a week. No. <laughs> What Berlin made me realize is that you can't just move to make things better. I, You, you know, it's something... Clearly, there's something that I needed to figure out about myself that was just not going well. And just changing cities is just not going to make you like a different person. So then I remember when I came back, I like found a job and I tried to just be good at it, not get fired and just, yeah, I mean, you can go out drinking, but, you know, be aware of what you're doing and also just not use it as a coping mechanism. Yeah. I think that's what I was doing, you know, just like, oh, everything is shit. So I'm just going to get blasted. And then tomorrow I'm going to go to work with hangover. And then it's just it just accumulates. Right. Yeah. So then just trying to be a grown-up and deal with, with what you're doing instead of just doing tequila shots. <laughs> On the other side of the scale, is there anything you haven't done in your life for lack of bravery or fear? Uh, I've always wanted to, to go to America and drive through America. And there was a fear of, of America, of actual America. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> But it is something that I still want to do. The thing is, I can't drive, so that also... Uh, yeah, that's, that's an hindrance. <laughs> But that's less bravery and more just not getting through. But yeah, I think more traveling as well, more traveling alone. Mm -hmm. I don't know about Portugal, but at least in Spain, it's not as common maybe to travel alone. So it wasn't something that I did much. I always traveled to see people or traveled with friends. And then the first time that I traveled alone, I think I was 30 something. And I did feel like I had missed out and that I, it was something that I should have done before. Yeah. So definitely, I think more traveling solo so you can meet people. Yeah. Just... You know, that feeling in the hostel the first night. <laughs> What am I doing here? I, I travel a lot by my by myself and I've had like weird experiences in hostels because I then just like, I remember like in Paris, I stayed in a hostel in Montmartre and it was very, mm -hmm. I thought I was in the best place because it was so pretty, but then I'd go out at night by myself and actually be afraid because so many dodgy people on the street and like catcalling you and stuff like that. So I am mm, not comfortable. But inside the hostel, there were like a ton of Australians just being drunk because apparently that's what Australians do when they travel. Yeah. It comes with the hostel. Yeah. Uh, but also like a, an older American woman that thought I was British and wouldn't uh, accept otherwise. <laughs> Ask any, any <laughs> British person and they will tell you I sound nothing like a British person. Yeah. The people that you meet, I think, is the craziest stuff. I went to um, the first time I had proper traveled alone because I went to Indonesia 
alone but then I met friends there so it was different but I did really enjoy the days that I was alone but then I went to the Fringe Festival mm-hmm. for for 10 days and I went completely alone and I did know comedians but it was really nice to to just be at the hostel do your own thing have your own time and if you do want to meet people you meet them if you don't you don't but also just the amount of people that talk to you when you're alone like I just I just hadn't noticed just anyone <laughs> it's, it's a good thing but sometimes it's not <laughs> I know. I feel like I, I, I'm probably not very friendly because <laughs> I don't think people That's talk to me a lot. <laughs> the thing is, I am very friendly and then I don't know how to get out of it. <laughs> I mean, they were smoking crack in my room. I didn't even know how to tell them off. <laughs> no, but I've got this joke that I that I used to do when I started doing comedy. I call it, uh, I say that I've got resting nice face. <laughs> So even if I am angry, like on the bike is the only place where people do think I'm angry because I'm actually telling them to fuck off. But I do have that face that people just smile at me or talk to me. Or like if I'm on a bus, like all old ladies always sit next to me. And I've even had it here where like they'll sit next to me and they'll try and strike up conversation in Dutch. And I, I don't speak Dutch. But, you know, they don't care. And they'll just keep going and just they'll speak slowly. And I'm like, I'm really <laughs> really want to go like I don't really like that many people I just have this face (laughs) so yeah definitely traveling I'm sure there's some other bravery stuff right now I have thanks to the lockdown it's the only good thing I guess I'd always wanted to I don't know if it's out of bravery or not but I'd always wanted to work out a little bit and like take care of myself and this time I actually did so I've been working out like five times a week and running and everything but I don't know if it was lack of bravery or just laziness maybe but yeah I think it's a pretty brave thing as well the first day that you decide to to take that step and just start taking care of yourself and i think it there's a lot about i don't even know if it's a gendered thing but like from my experience Mm. there's a lot about being a woman and being like afraid to run at night because Mm. stuff or (laughs) having had things said about your body that made you uncomfortable about your body as you grow up that makes Mm. you not be comfortable like exercising uh, next to other people maybe I, yeah, I, yeah, I I went through a lot of that so I think there is some bravery in just saying fuck everyone and I'm just going to exercise because I want to yeah definitely um, like I was just embarrassed to be in the street running like because I always I, ever since I'm little I, I was always like the chubby kid mm-hmm. so even when you get older and you're not a ball which you weren't but you know that's the nickname that you get when you're a child I think you can't get that out of your head you always think of yourself as the, you know, the the fat one or like, I'm just so much bigger than everybody else. Like if I'm running in the street, like everyone's going to turn around. And the first few times that I was running, obviously I was so out of shape. I was using one of those apps where you run for one minute and you walk for two. I couldn't even run the whole minute. And I was so embarrassed. Like someone was timing me in the street. And then you remember nobody cares. Literally nobody cares about you. (laughs) You could fall over. I did. And nobody helped me. (laughs) I, I feel like I've always been embarrassed of those kinds of things. Like I practice a, a martial mm. art. It's a Brazilian martial art and it's there's a lot of acrobatics in it. And now I'm Ooh. okay with it because like, I can't do most of them, if any. But <laughs> I was always very embarrassed because I can't do them. I will be silly. I will fall. I will make a fool of myself. And now I, I've been doing it for a while. I know the people I practice it with. So I'm just like, if I make a fool of myself I make a fool of myself but I'm going to try but yeah it's a big hurdle to I think go go through I I'm running now as well and I I'm okay at running but I feel like I've stopped for a while so now I'm having like 
to go through the running for 10 minutes oh, and getting back into um, it yeah walking for whatever and today i went to run like instead of running in the park where everyone is running and there's like people running properly running i'm running on the streets because it's like it feels like it's less embarrassing and i know it's dumb yeah. but if it's what i need to do to get back to running i will do it yeah it's exactly true but it's that's the thing like if you that's what i try and think now because i'm apart from just taking care of myself I'm also trying to like think better about myself. I think everybody has this. You're just very negative about your own person. And it's like, if I saw someone running and they weren't very good, I wouldn't think, oh, what an idiot and how embarrassing. I would just think, oh, I probably wouldn't think anything. I just like walk past them. Yeah. And actually now that I do run, if I do see someone struggle, I actually do try to get out of their way. And I do think it's very brave of them to at least be trying because I know how hard it is. But yeah, there's just something that you just can't forgive yourself. If I do a workout at home and I don't finish the eight squats that I have to do, I'm like, oh, you, you're useless. You're so rubbish at this. And it's like, if your friend told you that, you, would, you wouldn't tell your Punch friend they're useless the and rubbish. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. you wouldn't tell your friend, you piece of shit, you didn't finish eight squats. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm never talking to you again. This is the end of our friendship. <laughs> But still, I, I just started working out at home. You started working in private. No one could see you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I learned how to cycle two mm -hmm. years ago or three years ago. And I remember it being very embarrassing. And then like the council here uh, has classes for adults. So it's like, okay, cool. There is like oh. people who actually teach you. And I got cycling very fast. But I was still embarrassed of cycling like training uh, in my... Like my estate has a garden and I was embarrassed mm -hmm. of cycling there next to the teenagers smoking outside because uh, they might mock me but now whenever I see <laughs> yeah. like adults uh, clearly learning how to cycle on the street and like during lockdown I've seen at least like this past week I've seen two people learning how to cycle like mm -hmm. adults I'm like yay great so yeah probably people will just say yay great Yeah, although just literally just not think anything, which is what normally happens. Yeah. There's just or there or there is a small thought process, but they're not going to say anything. They might just think, "Oh, a grown-up cycling," but it's not the end of the world. Yeah, I did have yeah. like before I I went to the classes the council offered. I tried to learn how to cycle with a friend who used to have that job in the council. We both did comedy and we were out of an improv class. And another of his friends came by and asked him something about his day. And he said, oh, I'm just going to teach my friend how to ride a bicycle. And his friend asked him, are you friends with a five-year-old? <laughs> All of me was very small, but I did say, no, he's friends with me. Yeah, I mean, in that case, it, <laughs> it would be a little bit more embarrassing. But to be fair, uh, I'm also getting to the point where if somebody does look at me or say something, I'm just going to answer back. Because I did have that one day when I was running. And I think this was just, from my side, I was just being maybe over protective about myself. But there was just a guy, and I think he was just thinking. And you know how sometimes you're thinking and you're looking into the distance. But he just happened to be looking my way. And then I went up to him. I was running past him, and I just looked at him straight in the face. And I said, what? And he didn't even, he wasn't even looking at me. And he looked so shocked. I just assumed he was staring at me because I was running. But also another thing that's coming from is, of course, you lose weight. And some guys, at least, are starting to look at me, not because I'm running, but because you're a girl 
wearing tight clothes that is in the street. But obviously, I'm immediately thinking that they're looking at me because they're going to laugh at me or because I'm running. And that's just another thing that I have to change in my head. But yeah, just being aggressive to passers-by is just something that's coming with running as well. Is there something coming up in your life for which you'll have to be brave? Apart from standing up to guys while you run. Yeah. <laughs> Getting back into comedy is definitely going to be a big one. Yeah, for some reason, actually, now that you point that out, I didn't manage to get back on stage after the first lockdown. I didn't have the, I don't know if it was a courage, but I felt like I didn't want to do comedy anymore. But then the second lockdown, I decided I do want to do comedy. So, <laughs> so it's good that we had two. But yeah, we've decided to stop all of the shows until at least 2021, um, just because it was just getting too complicated to get everyone to do everything, like sit properly, the masks, yeah. and then having to cancel and rebook. And it was just too much work. It was stressing us out. I organized this with, uh, with my boyfriend and it was just so much work on top of our actual work and then still having to not know not be certain if we would have a show next month so then we just decided to to quit starting again is going to be a big one because you always worry that everything that you've done we've managed to get like a thousand followers on facebook i'm just worried that they'll all leave us <laughs> after <laughs> so yeah that's gonna take a a lot of bravery to get back in that room and hopefully sell out and do it a good show with people that haven't done comedy for, for a few yeah. months as well. Just think back at that show that you had no experience of and you still sold out 120 tickets more than that. So just think back at That's that true. and think at that person yeah. that feared nothing. <laughs> that person was very drunk. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've tried to do. I've tried to go from drunkenness to bravery to just know what I'm doing a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I hardly remember half of my sets from my first six months of comedy. <laughs> I've also not done live comedy. I've done one gig in between lockdowns and I thought it wasn't like properly COVID secure. So I thought, ah, I don't want to do this. And I have COVID, so I feel like I'm safe, but I feel like everyone else isn't and I'm putting everyone at yeah. risk. So I haven't produced any show, any live show, because I think it's... It's both it's a risk risky. and it's also, as you say, a lot of work. If you want to do things properly, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I had COVID recently as well. But the, f the funny thing or the weird thing is that I didn't get it while we were doing the shows, which was when I was in contact with mm -hmm. more people. I actually got it after when I wasn't a comedy, which I, I really don't understand. I would like to know where I got it from because I've been in bars with 30 audience members six to eight comedians two bar staffs and i didn't get it but then i don't know maybe my defenses got weaker from maybe. just not seeing people but did were you working like in the office or you just got it from like going to the supermarket or something like that i think yeah. i probably got it at the gym because they didn't they, they weren't closed until last week so it was probably that and then i can get to say that i went to the gym <laughs> yeah. the last show that we did that was when we decided we didn't want to do any more shows because we were Both the organizers, we were wearing masks. We were reminding everybody to stay 1.5 meters away. We were spraying their hands. We were reminding them of this. We were telling them to to wait at the table and only go to the bar if it was empty. And just by the time the show started, I remember just being so tired. Normally when the show starts, the first comedian goes on and they start laughing. It's all worth it. And this time it wasn't because we still had to keep checking if everybody was seated properly, if the comedians would stay at distance. And that's when we thought we're just going to wait until... 
there's no COVID, yeah. or at least a bit better. Yeah. Who is someone, real or fictional, or like someone from your life, or like a public figure that you would use an, as, as an example of bravery? Ooh, actually my mum. My mum's from Devon in the UK, and then her family moved to Swindon. And when she was 21 in 19... I can't say the year, because then I'll give her away her age. Mm. So... <laughs> In the 60s, when she was in her 20s, she decided to move to Madrid. Uh, and this was before internet, before anything. And she decided to, to move to Madrid because she just had enough of Swindon, which is understandable. I've never been to Swindon, but I've heard uh, many stories. So yeah. There's a magic roundabout. You should, you should <laughs> check it out. But yeah, she, her friend told her that there was a teaching position in Madrid, an English teaching position, and she just left and she moved to Madrid in her 20s when Franco was still in power. So she moved from the 60s in the UK with free love and free everything to a dictatorship in Spain just because her friend told her there was a job there and she never left she's still living in spain when now she's living with my dad obviously <laughs> that's where i come from but yeah it was pretty rough she was in madrid and there was a dictator there was a lot of drugs in that time madrid was very very unsafe so yeah she's always a good example so when i moved to amsterdam i'm like well you know it can't be at least i can call you if anything goes wrong yeah. i don't have to send you a letter with a pigeon <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel like all the moving became way easier and i remember like growing up as I was growing up, and I was born in 85, it felt harder when I was like a kid to move mm -hmm. than it felt. Even as a teenager, I always wanted to live abroad, but it felt like harder. When I got to uni, mm -hmm. it was cheap flights. Uh, <laughs> it was way, way yeah. easier to move. And like the internet and the internet commu communication and stuff. Yeah, I think communication and information is what helped, right? Because before... How did you find out about things before the internet? I guess you had to ask humans. Yeah. <laughs> but this, this is what you did. <laughs> you asked people. Um, but I was talking to my parents about it because they came to see me a few times here in Amsterdam. And, and one day they thought, why didn't we ever move to Amsterdam? It was such a good city and there would have been work here in the 80s. But of course, they didn't know anyone then in Amsterdam. And that's just how it was. If you didn't really know anyone there, you didn't have anyone that could give you any information or could help you out. So you just go where you know people or you have some info yeah but they weren't just going to move here on a whim like i did but i had the internet yeah you had and... the internet and like the distances <laughs> yeah. become shorter yeah yeah and i had booking.com and <laughs> an easy jet so yeah. yeah i think that took out the the hard part and the bravery so much out of it <laughs> it's still brave but maybe a little less would you ever go back to spain is this gonna go public <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't think so, because the last time that I was living there was just so hard, and um, there's just a lot of things that I don't like about Spain. I love the people, I love food, I love being there, I love the weather, but work-wise, I just, and work-wise and, and just life in general here is just easier, nicer. I don't know how to explain it, but things here just work, and things in Spain don't <laughs> so much i'm always surprised when i go to a small town here and the bike lanes and everything is just intact and preserved whereas in spain it's just very complicated and there's just so much corruption politically as well when i first moved here i remember the first year or second year there was a politician that had been caught out stealing and he quit out of embarrassment and i didn't understand that i'm like no but you just in spain they just keep going <laughs> 
and it was there was some just something reassuring about knowing that there's people in power that actually care and and do things for the good of the people in a way i don't know and just having jobs and i remember growing up and thinking that there was nothing really for me to do as i grew up um it was quite bleak and here i've always managed to find work even if it's not the kind of work that i want to do at least there's something for me to do whereas in spain i literally had to go back to my parents at 26 and live back home yeah which is great everybody loves that and i'm guessing it's similar to portugal in that way uh, what you said even if it's not something the job you want to do uh, you can still mm-hmm. find a job in amsterdam and i don't know if it's yeah. similar to here like in portugal i studied biochemistry i wouldn't be able to work uh, i now i'm a copywriter i wouldn't be able to do that without having like have a degree in writing or something like that yep. yeah it's the same in spain yeah we call it titulitis which is like too many titles yeah. um yeah here nobody cares like as long as you're not a surgeon i don't think anyone's going to check i hope <laughs> <laughs> i hope they check surgeons though <laughs> i hope they check that at least <laughs> but like i studied graphic design and i'm currently working in travel it doesn't matter like i started working in one office and then you just learn as you go and then eventually no one even asked what you yeah. studied because most people are not working in what they on what their field was and i mean i just started saying that graphic design gives me a creative outlook on problems and that's just a line in my cv now <laughs> That's good. I have to find one of those because I once went to like a civic <laughs> clinic when I first like started doing more creative stuff and I was worried about my master's in biochemistry being distracting and they said, oh no, it just shows you you're smart. Okay, cool. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know so many people now that, because in Spain, at least, it's just a, a change of uh, mentality as well. Like the idea of just studying something and not using it it just it, that's not how it is you study something that you're going to use or that's useful in any way and then i remember going to england in the summer that we i would used to go and when i started making friends at my age they'd studied political history and i'm like what what do you do with that and he's like i don't know i'll probably work in a bank <laughs> like They knew they weren't going to get a job in political history. Yeah. It's just, they just wanted to study that. Yeah, but I remember when I had to choose what I wanted to study and I sort of wanted to study cinema, but I wouldn't study cinema because I couldn't do anything. Uh, there was no jobs in cinema. So why would I study cinema? Yeah, I remember I wanted to study, well, I wanted to be a vet first, but then I checked and there was too many maths involved. So then I didn't do that. And then very early on, I remember thinking, no, I have to study something that will get me a job because what's the point? And then I also remember not going to, I didn't want to go to uni because I thought it was too expensive. So I went to, um, I don't know what it's called in English or in any language. Not But even it's in like, Spanish? Not even in Spanish. I don't know what it's called. I just They just threw me in the streets and then I learned. No, it's like not uni, but they teach you more uh, hands-on. Yeah. Uh, Grado Superior, I think it's called in Spanish, but I don't know what it is. Like maybe technical school or... Yeah, I guess. I don't even know Something if they like have that. it here. But yeah, we have the same in no Portugal idea. as well. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like if you want to be a, a shoemaker, then yeah. you just literally learn that. Yeah. So I did that with graphic design, which was more hands-on, like literally doing graphic design rather than studying the, the history of font mm-hmm. and what actually people do at uni and we would um also learn how to use a printer like if you wanted to work in a printing shop as well so it was more that but i just now i think back i was only 17 and i was already thinking no i have to study something will get me a job what's the point of just learning <laughs> for nothing and it's like well, where was i so pragmatic 
I do feel like that uh, sometimes a little bit that I was way more pragmatic as a kid than I am now. I'm way more. Yeah. I can try stuff. I can put myself yeah. out there. Yeah. I could just learn for fun. Yeah. But yeah, that was definitely not something that I thought that you could you could do. For me, learning was just super boring, and it was just if I'm gonna learn, at least it should get me some money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why Why learn if not for the money? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And here we are doing comedy. Yes. <laughs> no money. Because we're in it for the money. Everybody yes. knows that. There's so much money in open mic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wish I could say that in the UK, the politicians are honest. They aren't. No. And they don't get out of the government if they're doing shit. No, they stay. Uh-uh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's shit going on here as well, but it's in Dutch, so I don't know. <laughs> That helps a lot. I'm sure that there's some shit going on, but uh, streets are clean, roads work, I get paid, my taxes do stuff, I guess, that I kind of see. <laughs> yeah, and I think not not understanding the language, which is something that's quite embarrassing still after nine years, also helps to, to not know what the hell is going on. I get updated so if it's something big every now and then, like Corona. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just it just seems... That even if things are going wrong here, they just don't seem as bad as in Spain. There's just always on the brink of bankruptcy in the whole country, I guess. Yeah, I remember at one point in Madrid, even with two languages, I couldn't find a job. And the only jobs that I could find were door-to-door salesmen for like internet companies. Mm. And you would only get paid commission. But if no one has any money, why would they, you know, buy credit cards or internet yeah. yeah haven't things changed or are you just too far away from the experience on the ground to to know or is it mm, pretty much you the mean same? in spain yeah. if things have changed i get updated mostly my dad said don't come back <laughs> <laughs> but um i don't think things have changed that much i think they're trying but then it just feels like every time there is a bit of change and things seem to get better, that something knocks knocks us down again. Yeah, in this case, it was the pandemic. lockdown. Yeah, yeah, and it was pretty, pretty, pretty bad in mm-hmm. Spain because it is bigger. Of course, it, it's also easy to talk from the Netherlands, which is a much smaller country and I think easier to control than yeah, forty million people yeah. that there are in Spain, and just each region is its own little world, yeah. and and no one wants to listen to anyone else and. That's that's a thing that I like about the Spanish, but it's also very annoying. Nobody tells me what to do. And if you do tell me what to do, I'm going to do the opposite. Because fuck you. <laughs> but it also comes from 40 years of dictatorship when no one could do anything. So I, I get that. And it's great. But sometimes it's like, shut up and just do what you're told for a little bit. And then things will be okay. But yeah, I do know that if you're working in IT, you'll be fine in, in Spain. So Okay. So if you're working in IT and like the sun, just go to Spain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think if you're not Spanish, or maybe if you're not me, it is a nice country to live in. But just like I imagine yourself in Portugal, with Portugal, there's you you see the inside, you know everything about yeah. it. And it's once you're out and you definitely don't think you're going to go back, it's very hard to change your mind. Yeah, I agree. I like I feel this. I, I feel there's like two sides of it because I some things mm-hmm. I thought were horrible about Portugal, I realized are the same anywhere you are. So Portugal yeah. is not as bad because because of that but then there's things and there's a lot i like the people but i think systemically the culture the society is Mm -hmm. not uh where i want to live right now because i think it hasn't it hasn't evolved enough some places maybe the big cities but even the big cities i'm not sure if they're quite there Mm -hmm. yet in like i don't know stuff everything sexuality gender all of that i it's one of the things I struggle with right now 
when I try to speak Portuguese is how mm-hmm. to be be gender neutral. I can't be gender neutral in Portuguese, oh, and I never no, no, know no, in Spanish uh, how to refer to my friends who are non-binary when I'm speaking Portuguese, mm-hmm. and it's it breaks my brain. So yeah, yeah, that's actually true. Yeah, like that that part. I mean, I don't even want to get into. Yeah. <laughs> so I I don't even know. But um, I think also just I grew up as as a little bit of a foreigner in my own village even though I was Spanish Spanish speaking I was uh, not from the village and I got a lot of bullying for not being from there and it's like but I'm still from here so I can't even begin to imagine if you're not even from the country and it's just I know that there's good people and I know that there's good places but it's just yeah it just I got out of that village as soon as I could because I just didn't like that and I I just don't like that attitude as well of anything different first is bad and then we get to know it and then we'll see. But yeah, in Spanish, we definitely can't be gender neutral either. Yeah. I don't think you can. No, everything has to be, even chairs are female. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I You just said something first, the thing is strange and then you get used to it. There's um, mm-hmm. a sentence, like it was written by Fernando Pessoa, a Portuguese poet, uh, and we use it a lot uh, in conversation, which is primeiro estranhas first you will find it strange but then it will get in your bones and <laughs> it, nice. that was used as an ad for coca-cola <laughs> <laughs> and i feel like yeah it's probably portuguese mentality first you find it weird then maybe you'll get used to it but yeah that's the thing right but it's like why do we have to be defensive from the get-go can't you like just ask like not immediately just say no and just be scared and then have to wait until someone else tells you is it okay yeah that's a good sentence i like that yeah portuguese sounds great i just i've been watching a brazilian Mm -hmm. tv show and it's just so easy from a spanish perspective to just imitate it even though i'm not saying anything I feel like it, it just sounds great. It may be easier to imitate <laughs> Brazilian, right? I don't know. Uh, I, I I know that Portuguese sounds very much like, psh, 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 and it's hard to. <laughs> sounds like a secret. Yes. Yeah, I always thought it sounded like people were having a secret. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you find it a fun language. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your whole country entertaining me. <laughs> We're arriving to the end of the podcast. If you don't have oh, any really? last words to say about bravery. No, because every time I think of brave, I always think of like the knights, you know, oh, the knights. <laughs> like someone yeah. with a sword. Yeah. yeah. I actually never thought I was brave. Uh, well, the things that I've said today, I never thought I was brave until people pointed them out mm-hmm. to me. So maybe next time I talk to you, I've done something brave that I wasn't aware of and someone let me know about it. <laughs> But I do agree with you when you think of the word brave, you think like of huge acts of bravery like the knights or people in at wars or something like that. So yeah. I have a lot of trouble saying, like admitting I have been brave. So yeah. That's why I started this podcast. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a, a humble brag. You feel like when you say that you've been brave, when you say it yourself, it feels wrong. It's like when you say that you're very, very, I mean... Yeah, I think in England it's exactly the same. Showing off about something is just bragging. So that's why I think if people find it hard to say... It's be- it's easier to say that you're shit at something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody should say they're brave. Even because like there's little things that you do that you find hard and you're probably being brave. And you said, like, at your definition at the start, mm-hmm. you said you talked about being out of your comfort zone as being a brave thing, mm-hmm. which I it's what I'm trying to tell myself. I'm being brave. I'm out of my comfort zone. I should go with it because I'm just being brave. 
I'm not like being embarrassed about stuff. I'm just being brave. <laughs> yeah, but I think I, I like putting myself out of my comfort zone. That's why I started doing comedy. And since I started doing comedy, I find putting myself out of my comfort zone is pretty nice. Sometimes you discover things about yourself that you didn't expect. And if it, even if it's just small things, like, I don't know, I went to, I do this thing here called One Fit, which is all these different exercises, uh, classes that you can go to. You can go to anything in the city. Yeah. I'm just starting to go to random ones that I never would have gone on, gone before. And then just being surrounded by models <laughs> doing Zumba. <laughs> like that's brave that's very yeah. brave we have like a similar program here <laughs> called class pass and i tried like oh yeah we have class yeah. pass yeah i tried a lot of th like one-off classes as well i tried like pole dancing and silk um, <laughs> like aerial silks and the aerial silk class was uh crazy like i i felt really bad about myself because it was a beginner's one everyone said yeah. they had never done it before and like All of them got upside down in the silks and I couldn't. I'm, I'm just sitting down. And I didn't. I kept trying, but I didn't manage to do anything in that class. Yeah, I went to this one recently called Strong. I don't know. It's like Zumba, but there's more aggressive or something. <laughs> and I remember just literally like looking at myself in the mirror and thinking like, Jesus, I look like a red potato. <laughs> like I couldn't even keep up. <laughs> and there's like... The teachers obviously are always like perfect and sculpted and have like an eight pack. And he's like, yeah, try and kick high. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think I can kick high. I don't think I was built to kick this high. So <laughs> But yeah, I'm just going to stick there. I don't know if you have a row cycle, soul cycle oh, in yeah. London. Yeah. yeah, I go to that one, but just because it's in the dark and no one can see me. <laughs> I have like my friend told me about one of those classes where like it's dark, there's mm -hmm. uh, loud music and like lasers. And she used to do that before work at like six. 6am and I'm like Jesus that's a weird way to start your day she's definitely pumped for the rest yeah. of the day <laughs> you mentioned the red potato yeah. I get very red when I'm exercising and the martial art I practice they give us nicknames that have to do with us and I'm a strawberry and that's because I get really red <laughs> but I love it and I tattoo strawberries on myself because of that So, you know, yeah. I'm embracing my redness. There you go. I'm going to embrace my red potato. <laughs> the last thing I ask may be a little bit mm -hmm. of a hard one to answer right now because it's if you have anything to promote. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I can promote my, my, uh, my comedy show, even though there's no shows right now. Um, <laughs> We do organize that comedy thing here in Amsterdam. Uh, we chose the name because we tried to think of something that people would remember. And people normally don't remember the name of a comedy thing. And they go, oh, we should just go to the comedy thing. And we thought that was hilarious. Yeah. And here we are now, <laughs> a year and a half after. And I still love the name. It makes me laugh every time that I tell someone with that comedy thing. <laughs> so withoutcomedything.com. And when we are back, we will be back at Clink Hostels next to Central Station. It's a five-minute walk and you get to get the ferry as well, which is free, which is great. But no, I don't know when. I don't know what day. I don't know how many comedians. And to be honest, I don't really know if the location will still be open when we come back. So I just have a website. <laughs> I have a new Facebook now, which is the same, RoxyJC. And I am on Instagram as dam underscore Rox, because I live in Amsterdam. <laughs> See, I've just always been very funny. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you so much for being a guest at my podcast. Thank you for having me. I never thought of myself as brave, so <laughs> it was really nice. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me at, at Marianne's Beats on Twitter and Instagram for all dowdy updates. As all podcasts will tell you, all rates and reviews will be super welcome. And do share the podcast with your friends or on your socials. Hashtag DowdyPod. I would also like to know your pics of people who, to you, are examples of bravery. Share them on your reviews or tweet them at me. Huge, huge thank you to Champagne for the podcast jingle and a bunch of other things that are on podcast related. If you've enjoyed listening to Dowdy, have some spare to give, and would like to support me and help me improve on my tech and skills, all tips are welcome through PayPal and Coffee on at Mariana's Beats. I've been Mariana Feijó. Until next week. <laughs> <laughs>